Hello and welcome to All in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. My name is Brian, and if I sound different, it's because I'm in the living room today on my cell phone instead of in front of the computer because children. But uh, we're going to have a great virtual meeting today. We have Jeff and Rich and myself. So it'll be a tight meeting today. So with that, I will turn it over to Rich. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jeffrey, for being here. Thank you, Rich, for taking over. Thank you for the crowds of thousands who are listening. Um, Today's topic is the serenity prayer. Most people, I think, are familiar with the serenity prayer, whether they've ever been to a 12-step program or not. Um, It's it's around. Um, I know I was familiar with the serenity prayer before I came in 1990. In fact, I think my wife put it a picture of it or whatever, right above the urinal. So while I was standing there, I would look at it. (laughs) Probably very, very subtle of her. But anyway, you know, I have the ability to look at something and kind of look right through it or just ignore it or whatever. But when I finally got to my first 12-step program and they were using it, I thought, oh, you know what? I think I get it now. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And after going to a few meetings, I thought to myself, I think I know why I'm in trouble. <laughs> I think I was doing the serenity prayer backwards. I think I was asking God or somebody to give me the serenity to accept the things that I could have changed and the courage to change all those things that I can't. <laughs> you talk about a formula for frustration and, and a setup, really, to drink or to gamble or to smoke or whatever. Because uh, it it reminds me of Sisyphus, you know, that guy rolling that boulder up the hill and every night it would roll back down again. So um, anyway, I found the serenity prayer to be very profound um, and very helpful, especially in recovery. But today's topic is taking the serenity prayer a little bit further because it's part of a fuller version. And I'm only adding three lines to the four lines uh, that we commonly know. And the, th- the extra three lines are living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. So that's, uh, it casts a different light on it for me. And I didn't come up with this. I was, I was looking at a podcast or a, a YouTube just this week, and it was uh, secular. It didn't have anything to do with 12 steps at all. It had something to do with recovery and counseling, but they had added those three lines. And I thought, you know what? That adds a lot to it for me anyway. Um, the living one day at a time is usually part of 12-step recovery anyway. It's not part of the serenity prayer, but it's just a, a little slogan that everybody uses. And that turns out to be a very powerful little phrase too, uh, because I was always living in the future. I was never living one day at a time. Um, as a young person, you know, I couldn't wait when I was 12. I couldn't wait to be 13, to be a teenager. Couldn't wait to be 16 to get my driver's license. Couldn't wait to be 18. Ohio, you could drink beer. It's 3.2 beer. You'd have to drink a lot of it to get drunk, but still. Um, 21, you got to drink the real stuff and gamble for real. At 25, my insurance rates went down. And then after that, I had a hard time coming up with a number. I came up with 55 is when I might retire early. So that was kind of a long, long slog between 25 and 55. But it's always been you know, this goal in the future sometime and never actually living one day at a time. And then the next line is a real tricky one, enjoying one moment at a time. I mean, maybe Brian and Jeff can help me understand what does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea what enjoying one moment at a time is, but it sounds like Buddhist or something to me or, or mindfulness. I don't know. 
uh, it's it's foreign to me. I really have trouble enjoying one moment at a time. Um, I try to skip over each moment and get to the next. And then the last line, which isn't the last line of the prayer, but I just cut it off at, at this point because it gets kind of religious after this. But accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, now that's that sounds like a paradox. You know, we were talking about paradoxes before. How could hardship, accepted or not accepted, lead to a pathway to peace? But it can, I guess. That's my, I have faith that that's true. I have faith that all three of these lines are very important. It probably as important as the first four lines uh, for me. So that's why I chose this as a topic. It's a challenge for me to, uh, to really live these three lines, these three extra lines and figure out what they mean and start putting them into practice in my life. And maybe, maybe I won't struggle so much, you know, cause I'm still struggling. I'm not gambling. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I'm not overeating, but I'm struggling with some other things. I'm struggling with too much time online, especially since I hooked up my internet in the house recently, cause I've been trying not to be so cheap. So for a year and a half, I, I lived without internet in my house. I was just using the data off my phone and saving like a hundred dollars a month that Verizon was gouging me on but now i've hooked up the internet again so i have unlimited download speeds 500 megabytes or whatever the heck they are and it's just unbelievable i can download a movie in seconds now the thing is i never watch these movies but i get a thrill out of downloading them it's, it's a certain feeling of possession or power i get but um so anyway i still struggle with some other things and maybe these three lines will help me to get over that struggle and focus on you know just one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time and accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. That's a real puzzler for me. So anyway, I have intentionally dragged out my introduction because there's only three of us. <laughs> and we may, we may end up talking about something other than this too, because this may not fill, it definitely won't fill an hour. I don't think it'll fill a half hour. It might fill 15 minutes, I don't know, but we'll see where it goes. I'll, I'll just accept this hardship of only having three people here as a pathway to peace. And with that, I'm done. Let's see, I wonder who's gonna go next. <laughs> I'll go next. I was just thinking that, Brian, I, I really appreciate you not saying, well, Jeff's here, so we'll definitely go the full hour uh, because, uh, you know, I have a tendency to be a little bit loquacious at times. Um, and now that you've given me some um, leeway in terms of only three people being here, you know, I sometimes I just can't resist those temptations. Anyway, uh, thanks, Richard. This is a this is a great topic. But I guess I'll start by asking one question. Uh, now, the listeners obviously can't see this, but you have put on our screen a, um, a recitation of the serenity prayer. But I couldn't help but notice when I'm looking at it, the first line you have God and then a question mark after God. And I'd never seen that before um, in the serenity prayer. And I wondered, is this something that you copied and pasted or is this... Uh, your way of saying that you were questioning whether, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you. I'm just asking the question. I'll, I'll answer the question. So you probably didn't notice, but the first time I posted it, it didn't have a question mark. And then before we started taping, Brian said that somebody texted or something that they wanted to go to a GA meeting, but they see the word God and they can't accept that. So then I went back here and I put a question mark next to God. I think maybe what I should have done is put... Um, quotation marks next to it, because in fact, God can be any in 12 step programs, anything you want God to be really um, for sure. Gambling was my God, you know, for 25 years, 
that was the thing I worshipped. I would go to any length to serve it, Lady Luck or whatever you want to call it. So um, maybe what I'll do is I'll put a small G. How's that? With quotation marks around it. So now it's it's wide open because we want to make this inclusive. We don't want to exclude anybody. And, uh, you know, for someone who would deny themselves access to the 12 steps because of one word, and little do they know that once they get to GA, I shouldn't say this, but probably half the people there don't recognize God with a big G. So, I mean, they would be in the majority. They would feel very comfortable coming to a meeting, not believing in God. And, and just to extend, I'm trying to draw this answer out as long as I can. Um, in AA, where um, most people insist on the capital G, they have AA groups called We Agnostics. They're for agnostics and atheists, AA members, because they can get sober on the 12 steps too. They just, you know, just get over it. Don't, don't let a word or a person be an obstacle to your recovery. It's not worth it. You're going to die basically. Anyway, how's that for a short answer? <laughs> no, no, I think that's actually a really good answer. And it's making me think that maybe that question mark should belong in the uh, literature that people see for the first time, because you're right. God is very intimidating to some people that are just entering the program. In fact, we had um, in one of the Zoom meetings that, that I run, we had a uh, as a topic, the 10 reasons why people don't attend meetings. And one of those 10 reasons is I don't believe in God. And I think that just um, goes along with what you rightly said about the perception that some people have about 12-step programs, that they think it's all about God. And if you have, if you don't have the faith that um, that there is a God or you, you're questioning it, that maybe you don't belong. And it's a shame because as you point out, there are a lot of people from different viewpoints in terms of God, from anywhere from atheists to agnostics to you know people that are very um, rich in their faith. So um, it is it is quite intimidating, and uh, I'm not sure. You know, I understand what you're saying about the explanation, but again, it's getting the people to come. And I know that certain people won't even walk into a room because of that misconception that it's a bunch of religious people and it's a cult. If I could interrupt just a second, I hope you don't lose your train of thought. But while you were talking, I thought of the second step. And the second step for the people who aren't familiar with the 12 steps is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us in GA, it says, to a normal way of thinking and living. In A, it says sanity. Um, but a lot of people will break down that second step into words. And the first word is just come. So for a newcomer, if they just keep coming to meetings, first of all, to acclimate to the meetings and the steps and the people and everything else, and then the second word kicks in where you come to and the fog starts to lift and, and your mind starts to open. And then the third word is come to believe. So after a period of time coming to meetings and the fog lifting, you do start to come to believe that there's some kind of power in this room working because there are people who are telling stories far worse than mine who aren't gambling and haven't gambled for five or six years or something. You know, it's like, how did they do it? Um, so if nothing else, you can believe in their higher power. Um, but but it's undeniable that there's something going on within that group. This is a group of former 
derelict gamblers, let's say, and they don't look like it now. They're, you know, they're dressed well, they're clean, and they talk well. Um, there's something happened. There's some kind of power that created a change in more than one person. And chances are it'll work for you if you, I think the key to step two is open-mindedness. And probably what we're describing is closed-mindedness. Like this is an obstacle that I can't overcome and I'm just not even going to go in the room. That's it. It's final. Give me something else because this definitely won't work for me. It's uh, in AA, they, they refer to it as contempt prior to investigation. So just kind of, unless you've got a better option, why don't you try this and try it for like, we recommend 90 days, stop gambling for 90 days, see if your head doesn't clear and see if you don't believe that some power greater than yourself has helped you. I, I agree. I, I think that the, that the only requirement is being open. And, um, and of course, you know, they, they talk about the how of the program, H-O-W, an acronym for honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. Honesty connects with step one, open-mindedness, as you said, connects with step two and then willingness connects with step three. But that that whole issue of come to believe, meaning that you, you don't have, step two doesn't require you to believe it. It just requires you to be open to the fact that you may come to that belief. And for many of the people, they don't ever come to that belief or sometimes they have to go through all the steps and be on the program for quite a while to come to that belief. But I'll get back on track. And, and don't worry, Brian, at one point during this uh, podcast, <laughs> we'll give you the opportunity to say something. Right at the end. About right at the end, right. Because, you know, you have two, you have two old man talkers here. So that's a challenge. Anyway, um, Thanks, guys. <laughs> the, uh, the, the serenity prayer is always fascinating. I never, um, I wasn't aware of the serenity prayer until my first meeting. I just never heard of it. And uh, it was, it was pretty, I found it pretty interesting. Um, and one of the things that you said, Rich, I, I definitely relate to when you, when you talked about, um, you know, courage to change the things I can. And I would say that the description of how I was early on in my recovery is trying to change the things I couldn't. And that was mainly all of my past behaviors. You know, I, I, now I didn't, if somebody asked me, is that what you're trying to do? I would have probably said no, because it doesn't make sense. But the reality was I was trying to do it because I was just so immersed in shame as a result of those behaviors and kept thinking about it in terms of would have, could have, should have. And why didn't I stop at that point? Why did I actually do this in my active addiction? Why couldn't I have just, you know, not caused that much harm? And really, that was, in my view, an attempt to try to change what I did, because what other purpose could that serve and keep going over the things that already happened? And um, I've said this before. I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast, but I know I've said it a number of times at the other meetings that I'm involved in that uh, it really um, was a pivotal moment in my recovery when somebody at a GA meeting uh, had told me that serenity is giving up all hope of ever having a better past. And that really resonated with me because um, I was still hoping to have a better past uh, for the first number of months in my recovery. And that really put it in perspective for me, actually. It was more of like, it hit me over the head with it. Like, what are you trying to do? And um, And once I accepted 
the things I couldn't change, mainly my past, that sort of freed me up to focus on today and then focus on tomorrow. And that sort of is a good lead in to what you were asking about, Rich, about enjoying one moment at a time. Because for me, I never enjoyed one moment at a time in my active addiction. And before I really uh, thought about recovery and, and really became somebody that really examined myself and what I wanted out of life. And uh, it was always, even in a non-gambling um, context, it was always focusing on things that were going to happen in the future, whether it was a Monday morning and I was counting the days till the weekend, or I had a vacation planned in three months that I was really looking forward to. And that's really what was the focus of my enjoyment. And it wasn't appreciating, you know, the, the little things in life, you know, uh, you know, from the time I woke up in the morning. Um, and it sounds kind of corny. And yeah, that's all about, you know, it is about mindfulness, I think. But once I started to, to really focus on things like that and appreciate things that I took for granted, I found it really helpful in terms of my, my recovery. Um, so I, I really like that line of enjoying one moment at a time. Um, and then if I, I'll just finish with the accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. And um, that is also an extremely powerful line in my view, because a lot of my experiences in recovery um, have been very difficult. Um, it's difficult to commit to going to a lot of meetings. It's difficult to, to commit to working the steps. It takes effort. And, it, and, and, and I would classify it as hardship. Um, but it is definitely, for me, a pathway to peace. Because I, without it, I do not believe I would be where I am today in terms of just comfortable in my own skin. Now, that's, that's in the recovery um, stage. Uh, even when I look back at some of the things I did in active addiction, of course, I can get really philosophical and, and say, like, I know I've heard this before, that if it hadn't been for my gambling addiction, I would not have been introduced to recovery. And I would not have gone through a process of self-examination and reflection and trying to, you know, be the type of person that I've always thought that I wanted to be, but I never really focused on. So I, I understand the concept. I can't tell you that I've fully embraced it. It's still difficult for me to say that I'm grateful for my gambling addiction because you know, all of the harm, not, not necessarily what that I caused myself to myself, I should say, but more in terms of my wife and my family. Um, that's really a hard thing to say that I'm grateful for, even though I know that it did cause me to go down this path and lead me to where I am today. But I get it. I, I used to not get it. When people used to say that at a meeting and introduce themselves, like I am a grateful recovering compulsive gambler at a meeting, I used to think to myself, are you freaking crazy? How could you be grateful for anything about this addiction? But now I get it. I understand why people can feel that way. And maybe one day I will feel that way. Um, but uh, I don't today and uh, I'm open to it. So uh, I think I will stop now. And 
let you uh, either comment or uh, talk to, uh, I know there's somebody else at this meeting, I can't remember who. Well, before that somebody else speaks up, I have a comment because that's an excellent point that you brought up and you don't hear it very often, is how can you be grateful for the pain that you caused others, especially your spouse? Um, I think I've told this story before, but I got into GA in uh, March of 91. And by the beginning of May of 91, there was a national GA conference, international GA conference held in Detroit for the first and last time. And it was on my street. It was on McNichols. <laughs> uh, anyway, I went and uh, they had workshops on like the fourth step. And I had been in AA for like six months. So I knew about the fourth step, but I just kept kind of pumped up about the fourth step. So a few weeks later, Memorial Day weekend, I had some extra time and I sat down, I wrote out my GA fourth step. And then nobody had told me that you're not supposed to share this with your wife. I mean, I should have been smart enough to figure that out. But I was so pumped up by this like cleansing process that I was going through. And we had time that weekend. She sat down, I read it to her and she was in shock. I mean, I was a pretty good deceiver. You know, I would wait until she was in the in the hospital having kids or I was on a business trip or something. That's when I did most of my acting out or I, during working hours. And I come home afterwards as if I had been at work. Anyway, um, her trust in me, actually her image of me was completely shattered. So how can I be grateful for that? I don't know. Maybe I can be because her image of me was artificial. Um, she had me on this pedestal and I, you know, I did everything I could to encourage that too. I did actually live two different lives, you know, this respectable life, going to work and being a father and husband and all that stuff. But on the inside, it was like the Jekyll and Hyde story. So um, it served as a wake up call to her that she wasn't living in reality. Our relationship wasn't reality based. It was based on some dream world of hers. You know, I had my dream world of gambling and she had her dream world of a perfect husband, which I for sure wasn't. Um, so it, it caused us both to wake up, but better in our mid forties than later in life, you know, at least we've had a, a chance to live, as they say, life on life's terms and accepting each other's warts and things and trying to adjust to them. So anyway, that was my long comment. But Brian, you have been holding your tongue for so long. Please speak before you get laryngitis. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> uh, Brian H., compulsive pathological disordered problem gambler. Last place to bet in July of 2014. Uh, I always, I always liked the serenity prayer because it came at the end of the meeting. Everybody would stand up and join hands in a pre-COVID world. And, uh, and recite the prayer. And at the end, they added, keep coming back. It works if you're worth it. It works if you work it and you're worth it. And at that point, everybody would be squeezing hands. And there was just an energy in the room right at the end of the meeting. And it was the perfect way to leave the meeting because that whole meeting, you're sitting there and you're listening to everybody, but also your mind is wandering and it's just, you're just sitting and you, there's not a lot of energy in a GA meeting. And then right at the end, you build up all the energy and you go out into the world and you feel good. And that's why I always like the serenity prayer because it, what it came with. Uh, living one day at a time, I mean, we've talked a lot about that on here and I, I, there's nothing more I'm going to add to that except for, yeah, <laughs> each day, each moment. Enjoying one moment at a time is sort of why I had to email everybody this past week and say, we're going to cut all the meetings in half because just we were doing so many meetings and it was great. And it's been a great many months doing them, but I it just, I got burned out, I burned out be between the stuff, you know, 
being on the meeting and then also the behind the scenes stuff you got to do to get the meetings onto the podcast. And so in enjoying one moment at a time, uh, I, I was not present with my daughter who I watch every day because I was thinking about the podcast and like trying to edit the podcast and, and deal with the podcast, promote the podcast all while I'm watching her. And in doing that, I'm not paying attention to her. I'm not enjoying this time that everybody tells me is precious because soon they're going to grow up and go to college. And, you know, just last night, a neighbor was telling me this, you know, enjoy it now because next thing you know, they go to college. Um, and so that's why I had to cut back on the amount of podcasts we were doing as much as I love doing them, putting them out and getting people to hear them. It just was interfering with my day-to-day life. And so going forward, this is a great opportunity for me to enjoy those moments one at a time. You know, I can, I can spend the time with my daughter and I don't have to think about what else is happening. I can just play with blocks and concentrate on that moment. And that's something um, that I've had struggles doing uh, since she was born is, is just being present in that moment with her. Because a lot of the time, it was always thinking about what comes next. What's going to make me happy? What can I do to get my happiness up? And uh, not realizing, you know, if I just watch her giggle and laugh, it's pretty enjoyable. And so I am excited now that with less distraction will come more enjoyment from the time I get to spend with her and my wife as well. Um, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. It's funny, cause I, I think of that as, yeah, I went through all that hardship and now I'm at peace. And there's a level of that uh, for sure. Uh, there's a level of, I went through all the gambling. It's been six years since I gambled. My troubles are still not over because I filed bankruptcy and that stays on your credit for seven years. And that seven years is not up yet. Um, I mean, I didn't end up filing bankruptcy till a couple of years after I stopped gambling officially. So I still have a couple more years of that. And I think, you know, once that leaves my plate, I'm going to feel a little more at peace um, just to have that behind me. But, you know, Rich, like you were talking about relationship issues and I mean, you both had wives while you were gambling. I didn't, but I had girlfriends and I just, that's the guilt and the shame that I can't get rid of is how I treated people in the midst of this. And even, I mean, all the way up until the final days, uh, I, I was not the person I am today with those individuals at that time. I was distracted. I didn't, I didn't care. I, it just, it eats away at me and it shouldn't, right? I've got a happy life now. I'm married to someone else. It shouldn't, but it, it bothers me that, well, I don't know. I don't know if it bothers me that their memories of me are tainted and frankly shitty, or if, if it actually bothers me that I hurt them. I'm not, I, I don't, I, you know, maybe it bothers me so much that I'm worried of what they think of me when I shouldn't be worried about that at all. What I should be worried, well, not worried, but what I am concerned about I think is just, I mean, to take that part of their life and treat them in the way I did still eats at me. And I can't see as much as we talk about it on here and I bring it up and I talk to other people and people say, you got to let go of the shame and the guilt. It's the only way to move on. I get it, but it doesn't, it still eats away at you. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't do anything horrible, but I just wasn't present in the relationship at all. Um, any of them. So I, I was able to dismiss them easily and just walk away from them, not feeling that bad at the time. And now, of course, I probably feel worse now about my behaviors then than I did at the time. Time, you just shrug your shoulders and go gamble. And now, you know, those memories, it's all the bad memories that creep in. I, I mean, 
the good thought, the good memories back then are good, but it doesn't, if I have a good memory, it doesn't elevate my attitude now, but a bad memory will sink me and bring me down. I went, I went through hardships and I would say now is a peaceful time for me. I don't, there's not much in the world that I want. I mean, there's not much that I, I need and there's not a lot of, there's nothing really, there's no struggle right now, right? I've, I've got a, as Jeff told me before, you've got a pretty good life, Brian. Uh, and I do. So I, I am fairly at peace. Now, bad times are going to come. They always do. Uh, but having been removed six years from gambling, I'll be able to deal with those in a healthier way than I did at the time. So I just uh, really appreciate this prayer because it brings me back to that positive feeling at the end of meetings. Um, and that's what sticks out for me. The words are great too, except the things I cannot change. I, you know, yeah, I, I, it, it's sort of forced upon me to accept them at this point. I, um, courage to change the things I can. Uh, I, I've that, I like that line because it reminds me that, and I've, I've had to really realize this in the past, I don't know, even year is that my, I can trust myself. I, I, there's been many times where I don't trust, I don't have the confidence because I don't trust myself. And now I realize I should definitely trust myself because I, I've proved myself correct a few times to where it gave me more confidence. And so now I'm able to trust my opinion. So when you guys were talking about 12 steps, I don't practice the 12 steps. I mean, maybe I do in my own way, but I don't consciously look at them and practice them and go through them and think, oh, I did this and that. And I'm just abstinent from gambling and trying to lead a better life, live a better life day to day. And if that involves the 12 steps, that's great. I like when people bring them up because it reminds me of them, but I don't consciously practice them whatsoever at all. And so um, with that, I will open it up to you too. Because I know you guys have just been chomping at the bit to talk again. Brian? Yes. It's interesting that you, um, the last part of what you said involved the courage to change the things I can. Um, we recently had a topic meeting about that particular uh, line within the serenity prayer. And, you know, it's, I never really focused on the word courage. You know, I've, my focus when I would read the serenity prayer was just, you know, changing the things I can and the ability to do that. And when I really focused, started focusing on the word courage, I started to question myself and think that I felt kind of uncomfortable with the word courage. Like I don't really view it as being courageous to change the things that I know, not only that I can, but I should change. Um, and now that, that was true early on in my recovery. And now it's not a question of courage in terms of the changes that I want to make to myself. It's a question of the, of discipline. I have such a lack of discipline to actually follow through with the changes and, you know, and their changes, they're not life, you know, life shattering kinds of things. They're not, you know, terribly um, important in terms of my overall recovery, but things like just exercising and eating better and, you know, uh, things of that nature. It's, it's a question of, I have such a lack of discipline. It's, it's almost like every Sunday, today's Sunday, right? So I'll, this will happen like as the day goes on, I'll say, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to start. You know, Monday's always my day to start. And um, if, I'm, if I do something different, some change in, in that respect on a Monday, that's where it'll start. And that's usually where it ends. And I'm just, I, I 
beat myself up because I'm just so undisciplined. But I don't know, courage to me is courage is, you know, serving the country in the military, being a first responder. I don't I never viewed it as the word to use when it comes to change. Maybe that's just too narrow a view of it, but I just wanted to sort of put it out there and see what you guys thought. I can comment on that. I've I've never heard anybody talk about the word courage in the serenity prayer. And I tend to agree with you. Uh, it might be a little too strong, um, especially when I wasn't left with any options anyway. You know, when I stopped drinking, it was pretty obvious that I needed to stop drinking. Didn't need courage. Um, didn't really take much. Maybe some persistence. Just go to some meetings and try to listen to what they had to say. Um, so I think your point is well taken as far as that word. It might be a little too dramatic. Um, I did have a comment for Brian, though. Actually, two comments. First of all, congratulations for uh, adjusting your schedule, being more realistic, because you have put in a lot of time. I don't even know how much time you've put in, but I know some of the behind the scenes work. Um, you know, just arranging interviews and interviewing people, just interviewing people takes a lot of emotional energy. I remember when we both interviewed Dr. Fong. I was like high for the next couple hours or something. <laughs> and then, you know, to do the technical part, because you have a little bit of editing to do and, and uh, there's something to running the podcast. I have no idea what that in, entails, but, and then watching a one-year-old, that's like a major operation, uh, except when they're sleeping. So, um, you know, it comes under the category of lifestyle balance, I guess, to, uh, to know when to, Kenny Rogers would say, know when to hold them, when to fold them. And just, you're not folding them, you're just modifying them to suit your, your needs. And uh, I congratulate you on that. That's good, good work. And I'm happy to hear it's both meetings. I thought maybe it was just the Sunday meeting, but anyway. No, it's both. Yeah. Um, the other point that I want to bring up is when you say uh, very humbly that you don't work the 12 steps, or at least you don't feel like you're working the 12 steps. Um, guess what, Brian? Hardly anybody does. <laughs> <laughs> they have actually taken surveys in AA, which is a lot stronger than GA, on what percentage of the people have done a fourth step, which is pretty early in the 12-step process, and it's like a third of the people have done a fourth step. So a lot of people, like I did initially, I got sober just by going to meetings. You know, I had the desire to stop drinking, and I would go to meetings, and I'd hear something. I, I, I love the laughter at AA. Um, the coffee, the donuts, we were able to smoke back then at the meetings. And, you know, it was kind of fun. It was getting away from the house and the kids and everything and having some fun. I learned something, but I never really got sober on the 12 steps. Now they say that you stay sober by doing the 12 steps, but it's hard to do the 12 steps by yourself. Uh, my experience was that somebody kind of latched on to me and took me through the 12 steps. Um, I was reluctant. I, I really didn't want to do it. It wasn't my idea. I didn't pick them. They picked me. I remember the guy up in Detroit, Andy S. He was on fire with uh, getting people through the through steps four through eight in one day. And we agreed to do that. I, I did it. I was downstairs in the basement of St. Michael's Church in Lincoln Park for like 10 hours, writing this long fourth step and telling him in fifth step and doing six and seven, making my list and everything. So, you know, unless you get a sponsor who is big on the 12 steps, because there's all kinds of sponsors too. There's sponsors who are just, you know, like friends, call me if you have any trouble, I'll try to talk you out of it. Or they're like militant sponsors, you know, like a 
uh, drill sergeant saying, you know, you will do these 12 steps exactly the way I did the 12 steps. And, you know, that's not, that wasn't really for me either. But um, anyway, I think the key, the key steps, and I could be off a little bit, are steps four, because it takes a lot of work to sit down and do that inventory. And I was, I was just lucky that I got turned on by that, that workshop back in May of 1991 to do it for GA. But then the other key step for me is the ninth step, because you're actually going out to people. All the other steps you can do by yourself, or maybe you and a sponsor. But in the ninth step, you actually take your show on the road, and you go to somebody, and you try to make amends for it. It's more than saying, I'm sorry. Uh, some people will say that you go to the person and say, look, I did you wrong. I stole money from you, or I, I cheated on, on your wife, or I don't know, whatever you did wrong. And then you just stand there and say, what can I do to make it up? And you let that person tell you what their version of amends is. And you do that. And in that process, you are freed somewhat from the memory and the, the regret and the remorse and everything. And failing that, I think people who don't do the ninth step or don't work with a sponsor, a lot of them work with a therapist and they somehow resolve those issues somewhat resolved. They, I don't think they get completely resolved, but at least they explore them with another caring person who, you know, is paid to listen to you, but will say the important things to you to like free you from that, almost the slavery of uh, regret, because everybody has regrets. I think it's not just 12 step people, but uh, once, once I can resolve those regrets, then I'm, re I'm really at another level of freedom. I remember going to, I'm really dragging things out here. I apologize, but I remember going to a, uh, a lecture series by a psychologist in Royal Oak when we lived in Detroit. His, his name was Dr. Snook, I kid you not. And he gave like four <laughs> sessions on psychology. And it wasn't 12 step, although most of us there were 12 steppers. And the one night he was talking about anger and it sticks in my mind as if it was yesterday. He says, you know, it's natural to get angry. If somebody steps on your foot, cuts you off in traffic, you're going to experience some anger. But he said, if 24 hours later, you're still angry over that same person or event, it's probably not about what happened. It's probably about something in the past that this event has put you in touch with. In other words, you have these hot buttons. And uh, going back to the, the ninth step, we're working with a therapist. If you can resolve those hot buttons and turn them off, um, then life gets a lot easier as you go on. Anyway, I'm done rambling. <laughs> just want to add to add uh, rich that i worked with my therapist on a step nine issue and i found it really really helpful it was and the reason why i worked with a therapist is because i had to do a step nine make amends to someone before i was really thinking about doing it because this person was about to leave out of state and that would have eliminated the opportunity to have a face-to-face meeting to make amends. And that was really, I'm glad I did because that also set the stage for subsequent times in which I did step nine. So I, I agree with you hundred percent. It has to, it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist, but it has to be somebody that is very familiar with how it works because it is a very, very overwhelming um, concept really to, to sit and, and to, put yourself in that level of vulnerability. And of course, you know, we know now that the measure of success is not whether you're forgiven. That's not what making amends is about. It's doing it for ourselves. So um, that, that I think that's a really good point that you raised. And I'll just add, according to Merriam-Webster, 
definition of courage, mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Difficulty. It doesn't have to be standing in the line of fire. And to me, courage, you know, a lot of it is just confidence. I need the confidence to change the things I can. Um, that's most of the time why I never changed my behaviors because I wasn't very confident that it would work. No, you're absolutely right, uh, Brian. But the, when I think of courage, the first thing that comes into my mind is the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to get courage, and that yeah. was more of a dangerous situation. Than, um, but you're right, it, it's, it's all different levels. I guess that wraps up our meeting for today, our three-person pod. Congratulations, wow. we dragged it out for 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, it was very informative. It was quality drag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We weren't just telling old stories. Uh, so thanks to Rich and to Jeff, and thanks for listening. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Thanks for listening.